Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. We have Arlene Garza with us here today with Reap Equity. Uh, you probably should check it out. I, I did talk to Jacob not too long ago with Reap Equity, and, and I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes as well. But it's always great to have the uh, better half associated with this partnership uh, on the call as well. So I really appreciate your time here, Arlene. But head over to reapequity.com for some more information about what Arlene and Jacob do. But uh, thanks for your time to here today, Arlene. You're welcome, Jack. I'm so uh, happy that uh, I was able to be on your program and appreciate it. So, you know, uh, we were talking about vertical alignment with Jacob, and it was really kind of interesting how how that some of that discussion. So, um, but what you just mentioned before I hit record was something that really interests me. You, you and Jacob kind of uh, took different paths to get to the to the same place here, and you spent 20 years in corporate America. Tell me a little bit about that transition. Be happy to. So, uh, Jack, I have a degree in finance and uh, school out in the western part of Texas, where I graduated from. I was recruited by a bank, a large bank at the time. Uh, So I moved to Dallas and started in the banking industry. I initially started as a lender uh, with the credit training program, and then I managed an international private banking department at the young age of 23 years old. So that was a a wonderful experience. And then uh, that was the time when the bank's savings and loan crisis occurred. I don't know if you remember that, but uh, the bank I was working for basically failed. And so as I looked at the acquiring uh, bank, uh, which is now JPMorgan Chase, it's evolved to that entity, but at the time was a a different uh, bank. I noticed that they were from Ohio and they weren't a big international bank. And that was what I was doing was international banking. So I went to the bank president um, and I said, I want to do branch banking. That's when branch banking was first starting, where you didn't have to go to one location, but you could go to multiple locations across the city. So I went through a program to learn how to manage banks. I did that for a while. And as part of that process, Uh, my uh, clientele at the bank, at the first bank I managed, was a a combination of blue-collar workers, a large Hispanic uh, base, and then the other half was a very affluent group uh, out of Highland Park in Dallas. So that the, the bank happened to be located kind of right at an intersection where it attracted both groups. So I started uh, spending some time on Spanish language radio programs and TV programs to educate the Hispanic community on banking services, everything from budgeting to how to establish credit, et cetera. And from that, I was hired by another bank, uh, which is now Bank of America, to create their first Hispanic marketing program. And then I launched it nationwide. And so did that for a bit and then came back and managed uh, a Texas, New Mexico, Oklahoma marketing. 
After that, my kids were small. And so I decided I wanted a position where I didn't travel all the time. So I, I um, took a national role in human resources. And so all of that, uh, I share all of that because I've been able to use every bit of that experience in our real estate business. Um, here's an example. I created our first employee manual uh, for our company. And that was based on the experience that I had uh, working in corporate America. Now, the decision-making process is very different than an entrepreneur would have because you've got layers of management above you, below you that you know require input for decisions. Jacob was very different. He had his own business, which he started at a very young age, right after we were married. And so his mindset coming into the business was that of an entrepreneur, uh, someone who was basically making all the decisions in a company. So, you know, when you start working together, and we've now been married 31 years, but when you start working together, it's a whole different phenomenon. And not unlike a partnership that you might create with somebody else in the real estate industry that is not your spouse. Uh, there are some things that you have to learn to do and together. And so it, it's been a, a really great experience for us, and but a lot of learning and challenges along the way. Sure. So with your financial background, is that uh, one of your primary roles with your current company? Yes. Very good question. So Initially, Jacob and I did everything. Um, we started with a 24 unit that we bought and he managed the rehab and the maintenance side of it. And I did the leasing and the accounting and the loan side of um, the property. And we went uh, through a period of about three years or so when we were acquiring um, mainly smaller properties where we were both kind of doing everything. And I went through a uh, training course, uh, strategic coach in particular. And one of the assignments was to really take a look at your day, break out everything you did in a day into categories, things that you love to do and you're good at, things that you're good at, you don't necessarily like to do, and then things that you hate to do. And so going through that process really made me realize that I love the acquisition side of our business. I have a lending background, so I can deal very well with the lenders. And I'm a numbers person. And so the analysis and underwriting and uh, all that is related to acquiring properties was really what I love to do. So I came back and I said, Jacob, I've got some ideas. Let's go you know, have dinner. And I want to discuss what I learned at, at my coaching session. And as we talked about it, I said, this is what I would love to do. I said, how would you feel about the operations side of the business and you over heading that up? He said, oh my gosh, that's perfect because I ran a business with 100 employees. So it's perfect. It's, it's what I'd love to do. So that was a major turning point for us because I was able to focus on the acquisition side of the business and he was able to focus on the operation side of our business. And We've been able to grow exponentially because we have divided and conquered and focused on individual things that are our strengths. Yeah, you you just mentioned your strengths. There seems to be a specialization there. As as you were now working with your with your husband, did you anything that surprised you when you when you joined the company? Well, again, I think it was the, the main thing was he was always the person in charge at his other business, right? And, and I, I wanted to respect that and do respect that today. 
but we needed to be on the same page on decisions. And my thinking, just like anybody else, might be a little different than yours, Jack, or, you know, the next person that you speak to. So it was learning to work to with each other on determining how do we make decisions together um, so that if there are things that fall into my side of the world, I'm I kind of on the lead on that. If he uh, has some things that fall into the management company side of what we do, he's in charge of that. But we keep each other posted on the important things, not the minutia, not the everyday, but the key things that we both need to be aware of. And we consult with each other on those big decisions that need to be made. So it's been great. It's been a nice evolution for us. Um, and I find that as I talk to other, you know, deal sponsors or syndicators, everybody is partnering today is what I see for the most part, right? And these things apply whether it's your spouse or it's another partner. It just happens that I go to the same home at the end of the day with my partner, but other folks, you know, that are partnering together, I think it, it made me realize that. And what I advise people is find out what your unique skills are have that conversation when you're looking to partner with someone about what are their skills? What did they bring to the table? And then that will give you an idea of how you can work together without both stepping on each other's toes. Yeah. There, there's an old saying that uh, when you start a partnership, you have to have an uncomfortable conversation or it will lead to an uncomfortable conversation. It sounds like in your situation, you are comfortable enough and you probably because of your corporate life probably were aware of that you know in this scenario talk a little bit about what you did in preparation did you write some roles down like before you even kicked off this partnership with your husband uh, we actually just honestly jumped into it um n- not completely without knowing anything we educated ourselves through the apartment association and i encourage people that are starting out in this business and your own apartment complexes, check out your local apartment association. There's a wealth of um, information. There's a wealth of classes for your teams and for yourself that will help you grow. And so that was one of the things that we did was we educated ourselves first before we bought anything. Um, And then in 2012, this will be our 10th year in business. uh, We launched, but we launched it not completely defining our roles. It, it, you you look back and you go, wow, what would it have looked like if we'd done this before? <laughs> but mm-hmm. I do encourage people knowing what I know now to do that. Sit down and really look at what your skills are. What are the things you love to do? What are the things that you just prefer to find somebody else to do, whether it's a partner or somebody you hire? Understand what that looks like before you get into any partnership. Sure. No, that that makes a, a a ton of sense. So, going back to your corporate world, and now you're going jumping into entrepreneurship. What kind of did you have to go through any kind of mindset shift associated with that jump, or what? How did that look like? Yeah, very good question. Um, you do have a mind shift. I, I think when you're in the corporate world, it's easy to get comfortable. Um, because you're in a role and you get promoted and maybe you move into a different role, but it's typically kind of in the same line of work. And so it's comfortable, right? And I think a lot of times it's getting uncomfortable that makes you go, oh, I'm not sure if I'm ready for that. And in fact, when Jacob said, I want to buy 
multifamily properties, I said, oh, hold on a minute, because I need to get comfortable with what that is. I think an entrepreneur jumps into things maybe a little faster than the background I have and some folks may have from the corporate world where you're analyzing things, your decisions kind of come over a longer period and a defined process versus entrepreneurs. I mean, they got to make a decision today for the business. They don't have you know, a week to go analyze and discuss with a committee. They have to make a decision. And so I think to me, that's what I've seen as kind of the biggest mind shift is making a decision based on as much information as you can gather, but make it sooner rather than later. Sure. Well, it, it sounds like, you know, since you're, you handle a lot of the financial aspects of this and, and I know that through Jacob, you also do some syndications. What, what were some of the hurdles and things you learned through that process? The syndication process? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, learning to define what, what you want to do, not just for yourself, but for investors. For us, the investor comes first. I mean, honestly, everything we do is with the investor in mind. And so when we when we buy a property, we want to underwrite conservatively because we want to sleep at night that what we told the investor we were going to do, we're going to able to deliver on. So that's been a big thing for me is, is understanding who are the players. We've got investors and we've got you know, our team that we that works for us. Those are two key groups that we are very accountable to and feel very responsible for. So I would say that those are some things that that people should consider is who are the key people that you want to be the hero to or to help. Um, We have, you know, different investors. And I think one of the most heartwarming things for me was to be at a real estate meeting and to have an investor come to me and say, thank you so much. I don't know if you realize, but I put my daughter through college with the money that I made from from my investments with you guys. That's real life, right? That's why people do what they do in terms of real estate. And so we always look at our investors and say, how can we serve them better? We look at our team and we say, how can we serve them better? Because ultimately our team holds all of our paychecks in their in their hands. You know, the we have almost 100 employees on site. They're there every day taking care of our residents. The happy residents, the not so happy residents, everything in between, it's about giving them the best customer experience that we can give them. Yeah, it's 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 amazing. I mean, uh, to be a property manager to the level that you're talking about, it, it kind of takes a rare breed to uh, deal with with everything that comes at you. <laughs> you're exactly right. You you have to love people. You know, all the way around, we've got um, at now we've got about 2,400 units. We've owned 3,500 in total. But if you take that number times 2.5 people, yeah, that's a lot of people that are in our communities that we help every day. And we want to give them the best place to live that we can. It might not be a class A luxury, you know, high rise, but it's a good solid community where we fix what goes wrong and we take care of what they need. And, you know, we make sure that we do our, our job to put the right people at that property. Right. Earlier, you said you, you try to, you keep every, all of the decisions, uh, the investor is, is a, a, your core 
belief in what you're taking care of so you can sleep well at night. Tell me about a time that you weren't able to sleep well. Well, you know, when you have something like a fire um, that happens at a property and, you know, you've, you immediately start thinking, was everybody okay? You don't want there to be any, you know, bad news to come out of it. You can fix the building, you can restore it, but you can't bring people back. So our question is always when you get that phone call and it goes to the president of our management company, but she always keeps us informed, you know, is everybody okay? Okay, that answer is is good. And then next it's how do we bring that that unit or that building back online as fast as we can so that we can start, you know, generating income from those units as quickly as possible. So in that decision, we're thinking about the investor. How do we give them their return? How do we not miss a step on that, giving them their return? And we just had a, a fire probably a month and a half ago. Uh, within a day, everything was buttoned up. All the reports were done. We had already submitted our claim to the insurance company. We had moved people to another unit on the property that were affected. It was eight units affected, so it wasn't that many people, but we were able to get them into a new home uh, within a day. Um, And that's moving pretty, pretty fast, but that's because our team knows that that's super important At the same time, following that claim, we have what's called business interruption insurance. So if there's an interruption in your income stream because of a casualty like a fire, uh, the insurance company will pay you that rent uh, while those units are being restored. So getting that done quickly means we're able to bring that money in the door to make sure our investors get their distributions. So over the past 10 years uh, running a business now, there's likely, there's bound to be a mistake made somewhere along the lines. What was one of the biggest mistakes you've made and, and what did you learn from it? Well, I think for us, it was buying a property with a chiller system. And I say but that with a lot for, of... Res- you'll have to forgive me. What's a chiller system? Okay. So a chiller system is uh, in a traditional unit, you've got central heat and air, right? Mm-hmm. It all runs through uh, air ducts, et cetera. Well, in a chiller, it is a four pipe or a six pipe system where water runs through the pipes and they're either heat, that water is heated or cooled uh, by either a cooling tower, which cools the water or a big, huge you know, furnace basically that heats that water. That water runs through the those pipes under the building over and into the unit. Mm -hmm. So when the resident, when the, when uh, temperature changes, somebody goes to that unit and switches it from cold to hot or hot to cold, depending on what's going on. So we knew that the cooling tower uh, was new when we inspected it, but we had never underwritten a property with a chiller system. So You, in essence, at that property are the electric company because none of the properties were in, none of the units were individually metered, meaning the whole property was built in one big bill and we had to divide it out. You also are the water company because the property is built for all that water that's used. And it's not only water to bathe and cook and all of that, it's the water that's heating your system. So what happens with water over time is you get leaks in pipes. I and mean, if those pipes are under your building, 
It's not just sewer pipes. These are water pipes that are just designed to heat the system. Then you end up with leaks over time. And when the water pipes leak into the unit, then you've got a lot of water damage around where that system operates. So the expense was higher um, for running that property. But there was one of those things we had no idea going into it. Our mentor did not really give us any advice on how to underwrite a property with a chiller any differently. Your capture rate on your um, RUBS utility billing, the, the utility billing we give to the residents, you're going to have a lower capture rate because when people move out, not only do they not pay you the rent, they don't pay you water and electricity. And so it was a learning experience on how to how to underwrite, how we should have underwritten that property. Now, nobody lost any money and the investors got distributions, um, but it was a big learning experience for us in that you really have to look at those factors when you're underwriting a property. And this was our first, you know, over 30 unit property that we bought. So um, again, the story ended up fine, but when you go to sleep at night, you know, when you don't sleep at night, because you're wondering, what what expense is coming tomorrow from this system? What what do we we can't anticipate it? We don't know what it's going to be. Yeah, it almost sounds like you broke your own rule there. You you mentioned you like to have a, a good understanding before you get into something. <laughs> well, again, if you don't understand a chiller system and how it works, I will tell everyone: don't stay away from a property because it has a chiller system. Just understand how to underwrite it differently, and. We were relying on our mentor um, to tell us, but they had never owned a property with a chiller. So, you know, more homework needed there. And I will just tell you, don't let it scare you into buying properties or or not, because don't you know, don't not take action because of that. Just find resources um, where you can get that information that you need to make a better decision. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I'd be curious as to the financial decisions behind this. It, it sounds like that uh, you had you had hired property managers up until a certain point. What was the financial discussion or decision to bring property management in-house? Good question. You know, we operated the first 500 units or so ourselves, and then we uh, got a different mentor. And when we had a conversation, multiple conversations with him, he said, tell me about your business. And so when we described our business, he said, well, you're probably not going to be able to grow as fast as you might want to because you're so involved in the day-to-day. And we weren't big enough to have layers below us. You know, there were a few employees we had hired. And so at that point in 2015, we decided we would try third-party management to allow us to grow. So we did that. And then in 2017, uh, we ha- we were at a thousand units, and we were advised by asking around that that's about the right size to start your own management company because you have enough scale to be able to hire people underneath you, HR, you know, accounting, a regional manager, etc. And so that's in March of 2017. We we brought all the properties back in house and have had our own management company the second go round uh, since then and. You know, the, the difference has been incredible because for us, we know what's happening in our properties every day. We're not waiting 30 days to get a report from a company. 
uh, about how our property is doing. We know what, what it's doing every day. And that, again, allows me to sleep at night. Well, I, I mean, I, I've, it's no secret. I bring up the fact all the time is that uh, when you have a third-party property manager, your interests, frankly, aren't really aligned. I mean, it, and it's when you start to manage them yourself, that's kind of when you uh, realize how far apart you actually can be. That's exactly right. I mean, I think, you know, there are little nuances and little things that pop up. You know, I remember um, when we were under third party, I, again, being the numbers person, uh, I would dig through the general ledger report that we received in a lot of detail. And I was sending emails to the management company. Hey, who is this guy that you charge me payroll for? I've never heard of him being on our property. Oh, I'm so sorry. He belonged to a different property. You were incorrectly billed for him. And then there was another situation where I said, I see a, a bill for you know $3,500 for pool furniture on one of my properties. To my knowledge, we don't have new pool furniture at the property. And again, it was, oh, I'm so sorry. That should have been billed to a different property. So I think Having that relationship and being a good asset manager, which just means managing the management company, is super critical when you're working with third party. And there's a lot of great third party companies out there. But you're right. You are the only one that knows exactly what you want to get out of that property. And it's up to you as being the asset manager to communicate that and stay on top of it with that management company. Sure. So remind me again, did you and your husband, did you start with like single family homes and then graduate to the multifamily? No, we we, we dove right into multifamily. We, neither one of us had done single family, but you know, Jacob's background was that he had a property management software company. So he had seen the back end of what property managers and owners were doing from his software. And so he was familiar with what all of that looked like. And so that's what motivated him. He said, gosh, these guys are making great money. These properties are doing very well. I want to own some of these. And so that's that was kind of part of the decision to to jump into multifamily and and we bypassed single family just because of his Jacob's experience. So with your experience being in, in the banking industry and financial, is there anything that uh well, it, it probably hasn't surprised you much regarding the underwriting, but to arm some of the people that are listening to this, what do you think are, are some of the things that they should be aware of before going through a multifamily, uh, getting that type of funding? Sure. What I would say is please get a mentor or a partner or someone that has experience because if you're buying a single family home, maybe you have 10000 at risk, right? But if you're buying multifamily, you've got multiple millions at risk of your money and investor money. So I would say, please get a mentor, find somebody. There's a lot of great people out there or partner with somebody with experience if you don't have any experience. In fact, our very first loan on our 24 unit, we had a great balance sheet, but we didn't qualify because we didn't have experience. So we found somebody with experience um, to go along with us as a co-partner. And it, we did well by him. We had a 370% return on that first property. So he did well, but along the way, he provided guidance for us, um, how to underwrite it, how to look at the expense side of it, 
um, how far to take your rents, how to look at um, what the rest of the market was doing. All of that data goes into your underwriting and it's it's all super critical. So uh, really, and there's a lot of great podcasts too, yours being one of them, that gives you a lot of information, gather that information before you jump into a multifamily deal. And, and I will just say, I encourage everybody, don't be afraid of it because we personally, it's changed our lives um, by investing in multifamily, both actively and passively. And I'll tell you, just get educated or get a mentor or find somebody who who's already done it before. They have a track record and align yourself with them. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's always interesting people jumping right into multifamily. And I've, I've run into quite a few people doing that. It, it almost seems, though, that a lot of people will it's like we're playing Monopoly. We start off with the single family homes and then we trade up and then eventually the multifamily is almost aspirational. And um, I'm just running into more and more people who just jumped right into multifamily. And frankly, when you get into multifamily, you find that getting that underwriting done or taking down a 12 plex is sometimes is just as easy as the single family home. I agree. You know, we've owned the smallest 24 units and we've, our biggest to date has been 344 units. It takes just as much work to underwrite, get the loan, get the investors, et cetera, for a small deal as it does for a bigger deal. So scale is important if you want to grow in this business, but take it at your pace and take it at the pace that you're comfortable with. You know, are you going to, as a newbie, be able to compete with somebody on a you know $50 million deal right out of the gate? Maybe, maybe not. It just depends on who you're partnered with. But you most definitely could look at a five or you know, $10 million deal, uh, much easier. So I just say, be aware of what you're capable of doing and what you're, you're comfortable with in terms of um, how much you're taking on. Yeah. I, I can't echo that enough either is the fact that you find a good mentor in some way to uh, find somebody to lean on that, that actually already has the knowledge and experience that, that goes a long way. I agree. And, and again, you are responsible for people's money when you do a syndication, right? I mean, yes, you spell out the risks and the rewards, but ultimately it's your reputation you're building and you want that reputation to stay solid for the next deal and the deal after that. I say we're salesmen. Um, we're you know, selling the broker that we're the best buyer. We're selling the lender that we're a good borrower. We're selling investors that we can manage that property well. And so all the way around, you're a salesperson, but you need to be a salesperson with knowledge, knowledge that you bring to the table. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. This has been a great conversation. Just to remind everybody, head over to reapequity.com and that's R-E-E-P.com. Make sure to have that link in the show notes. Arlene, this has been a great conversation and chat. Um, before I let you go, is there a question or a topic you wish I would have asked you here today? Oh, gosh. Um I think the question would be is, how do you balance life, you know, as a syndicator, as a real estate investor? Um, because I do think, especially sometimes women, we take on a lot. Um, and, and I will tell you that that's part of the goal in this game is to be able to hire a team or a partner to work with where you can still have balance in your life. Yes. Okay. So, well, with all of that, 
how do you keep, how do you keep it all balanced? Because you know, like you said, with especially as an entrepreneur, I bet you it, it's hard uh, for both of you to not take everything upon yourself. I know you're you're hiring. You got quite a few people that work for you today, but it still has to be hard to let some of that go. Oh gosh, and I'm the worst at it sometimes. I think Jacob is a much better delegator than I am. Um, but because again, just if it involves a lender, I want to be copied on it. And honestly, we've got a great team. Um, so here's an example. I used to, you know, do any what's called reclassing of expenses just into the right buckets, uh, whether it's a capital expense or an ongoing expense. And uh, the president of our management company said, uh, you know, I can do that. I've been doing it for 20 years. Let me take that. And I said, okay, she took it. And I just never thought about it again. Hmm. And that would take me, I don't know, three or four hours a month uh, doing that at the, you know, when the reports were, the financials were produced. So that's just an example of some things. And I've gotten better. I, I now look at things of, is it a, uh, an activity that's going to produce income for anybody, for an investor or for me. And if it's not, then I can give that to somebody else. Is it an activity where the risk is so high that if I don't make the decision, something bad could happen? Then that's how I look at those. If somebody else can make that decision, then I give it to them. So it's taken me time, uh, but I've now evolved to where I've, I've empowered uh, people on my team to take on a lot of the activities so that I can then focus on the strategic growth of our company. Yeah. You know, and then we, we get into this, you know, real estate investing or any other, you know, if you even want to say a side hustle of some kind to, to generate a little bit more money or generate a, a secure our retirement in hopes to earn our freedom, to give us back our more time. But in the end, a lot of us will just essentially create more work for ourselves. I agreed. I think that's where really, you know, we, we are very big about quarterly looking at where are we going, you know, revising and, and redirecting our teams so that we are using our resources in the best way. But you're exactly right. I mean, the goal is financial freedom and freedom in general, you know, not just the money side of it, because the money side brings lots of good things. But if you don't have time to go enjoy them, what's the point? So we've done a better job uh, of working through that. But initially, you know, it was a take take the work home every night. Right. Uh, and now we've got a team. So it's it really helps to, to, to build some people around you. So, well, this was a great conversation. Again, it's reapequity.com. I'll make sure to have that in the show notes. And I, I hope you'll consider coming back again sometime. I, this was a great conversation. I would love to. You, Jack, you let me know when you're ready and, and I'd be happy to hop on and discuss whatever else people are wanting to hear about. Well, thanks. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. If you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.